if you are on the internet a lot make sure you're interacting with it and that it is not just entertainment for you make sure that you're really opening up that two-way connection that's going to enrich your experience and even bring about new challenges to help you understand it better welcome to dream radically podcast brought to you by foundation for liberating minds Dreaming radically is a necessity if we are to reach a world of liberation for all marginalized peoples. Imagining the world we want to see and then fighting like hell to go and get it. Dream radically is a hope, a strategy, a goal of altering the status quo in our quest for social transformation. Join us on this journey. Let's dream. Hi y'all, this is Christine, Creative Director for Foundation for Liberating Minds, and I will be hosting Dream Radically today. On today's episode, Redditing the Web, we are joined by Reddit employee Lauren Kobelitz, who will be sharing her perspectives on social media in light of the recent Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, the internet's relationship with us as individuals and us as a society, and her dream for change. Hello, Lauren. We are so happy to have you on today. I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself and what you do and kind of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Hello, everyone. My name is Lauren. I was born and raised in Oklahoma City. um, And then after college, moved to Los Angeles to work um, on the sales side for Reddit Incorporated. You might know their site goes by the same name, (laughs) reddit.com. And we're so happy to uh, hear all about your perspectives working for Reddit. And we're going to kind of dive into more of the aspects of that and maybe kind of in relation to uh, the documentary, The Social Dilemma, and how that kind of ties into your work and what that entails. First, I'd love to ask you, why do you have this dream? So kind of diving into maybe some of the insight and experience you might have gained from working for a social media company. So before even joining the company, I grew up in the age of socials. It was around middle school that like Facebook really rose to incredible popularity and Instagram became the standard for sharing about your life and connecting to people in your high school. And it was always a place that felt at the same time, like you could pioneer it, but you also already had to know the rules. It felt brand new, but that you had to adapt really quickly to thrive in that environment. And It was always exciting to me what you could create in that space, but it was hard to find areas where you could really be your authentic self under the impressions of what people want to see from you and what they understand about you. And so even before I joined the social media industry, the social media cult, if you will, I was fascinated by Reddit as a place where people were sharing stories that they wouldn't speak about anywhere else, where people could share secrets or talk about things that have been bothering them, embarrassing stories, whatever they really wanted, and like find a connection with somebody without jeopardizing a feeling that you're not welcome in a certain space or that you are going to jeopardize one of your relationships. And I think that that's really important as far as just, you know, some people have struggles that they're not really like ready to bring to the light. For me, I actually joined it and checked out some subreddits about managing ADHD. 
because people were, you know, sharing a lot of like relatable posts and everything saying like, I just walked into a room for the 16th time today for getting what I came in for. And then even just like explaining some of the neurology from like scientific articles that they found to help us like better understand our brains, why we behave the way we do, why we think the way we do. And that was just a, it was such a candid, but helpful community to find. And I think that really kind of like inspired me in the sense that people just need awareness of the communities that they can find to relate to other people and to feel a little less alone. Like they share a passion or a struggle with somebody else. And then kind of on the flip side, so you kind of discussed about the ways that social media can connect us and bring us together and help us find our ambitions. So kind of on the flip side of what social media can do, uh, I'd love to hear your perspectives on maybe some of the current climate of online polarization, maybe disinformation, division that has come with a conversation on social media. There's so many angles you could attack it from. I think the first thing because I feel like it's the most salient, the first thing we could look at is misinformation, as you brought it up, because these big social media companies now have a lot of built-in policies to fight against misinformation. But the trouble is you're always risking stepping on people's toes and um, creating an issue of possible like free speech violations. So you have to have like very specific criteria for a post to be removed and that needs to be established in this almost sort of constitution of a policy statement that you will like share with all of your users. But the issues are some of these communities are so large that to moderate them, um, some of the big social media companies have tools that enable people like reporting, you know, and everybody has uh, reporting tools, you know, that's Instagram and you can say like, oh, this person's harassing me or this post contains something that's like not suitable for the platform, something that's illegal or, you know, like violent, inciting violence, things like that. But when it comes to misinformation, you don't really see reporting as often because it's not an immediate threat or an immediate offense to a lot of people because the reason misinformation spreads so rapidly is because it will find its roots within a group of people who algorithms also line up to share with each other. You will typically have similar interests, similar viewpoints, And so whatever misinformation is getting disseminated, it's landing directly in this group of people that would be most interested or most likely to believe it. I know that that's kind of, that might be a strong statement to make, (laughs) but that's kind of how I see it as the broad dilemma. And then how do you feel like you watching the social dilemma enhanced or build upon some of those ideas that you form behind your vision of social media and what it should look like? Whenever I watched The Social Dilemma, I think going into it, the forefront of my mind was just the fact that I realized one day, like, I have liberal-leaning views, and on my Instagram stories, I never saw any information that was based on, like, conservative views. If it was, it was usually somebody kind of, you know, like, making a sort of, like, a meme about, like, something they disagree with from the right, and, you know, I was just, like, realizing, I was, like, wow, what are the chances that everyone I follow or everyone that's posting today has the same beliefs as me? 
I felt like that was disproportionate. (laughs) And I don't really um, fault the companies entirely for that. What happens is the algorithm, as you'll see in like the social dilemma, it's looking to give you content that's going to keep you on the platform. It's not about creating echo chambers, but this was one of the symptoms of having an algorithm that is so strongly geared towards giving people things that they really want to see and engage with. So one of the most fascinating things to me watching that documentary and reading a few articles about it too was just thinking about the way that these man-made structures were built for good but have created a new issue for us. I was also thinking about the fact that because we have those algorithms trying to keep us on the platform, you know, this is a huge priority. What we're dealing in in the social industry is the human attention span. What we're all competing for is your attention. It's your time and your affection and your just like share of mind. And we're all competing sometimes ruthlessly for it. I will plug Reddit by saying we have probably one of the best user protections in place just because people are anonymous and you don't have to share any information with us um, as soon as you join the site. It makes my job in advertising a lot harder because (laughs) one of the big perks of digital advertising is usually cookies and following people's behavior all the time. And we have to get information from outside analysts to be able to do some of this stuff. But essentially, by keeping your attention, these platforms are growing and they're going to keep doing the things that are going to keep you online more. This is one of the most important strategies that they have. And so it's hard to see a way out where the businesses are going to win and we are going to win. So continuing off of the topic of the social dilemma, I thought we could dissect and hear your opinion on the three dilemmas they present in the documentary, which is the mental health dilemma, the democracy dilemma, and the discrimination dilemma. So I thought we could kind of talk through those and hear your perspectives as working for a social media company and just engaging with social media on a regular basis. And so the first one that comes up is the mental health dilemma and how social media and our own mental health are so intertwined. In the documentary, they do go over some of the numbers. We've seen much larger increases in suicide rates, self-harm, and different types of mood disorders, especially in young teens. My theory is that what this is telling us is there is not just an issue of how too much social media affects us, but that if it enters our life in early stages, when we're still developing our social skills and still developing a sense of who we are and neurologically still developing. Uh, It can have a profound effect on the way that our behavior is shaped and the way that we see ourselves. Having lots of pseudo connections with people, it brings a bit of a high, you know, like when you get hundreds of likes on a photo, it's wonderful. It's like every little notification you get is just like a little extra dose of dopamine. But none of this is necessarily sustainable because everybody's going to have the one thing they don't want to happen, whether that's suddenly dropping in likes or it's um, losing followers or people not engaging with their posts. There's always going to be a bad day in one of these situations. And I think that it's hard for some people to separate from their own identity, those moments that happen. People aren't trying to reject you. It's just everyone is competing in this space for everyone's attention. So we can't all hold it at once. 
it does concern me a lot, especially with body image and not just for women, but like for men, because we're seeing many more like young men feeling insecure about their bodies. And I think that you can have body positivity on a platform, but we really need like body liberation. We really need people who are comfortable no matter what, because we see people who are like posed to look better in your photos, you know, like how to take photos that like make you look skinnier. And, you know, every time we post a photo or share something where we look good, we're still glorifying our looks. I don't want to make it seem like these people are sinners or horrible. I do this too. I love having a great a photo where I look great. I feel great about it. Like, I think I'm having a good time in it and sharing that. But these are shallow images. They're consumed really quickly. And many people don't really have the context to your life to appreciate these as more of an expression of yourself. And how do you feel like comparison might play a role in that? Just comparison in your inner circle and outer circle on levels that maybe are unattainable or unrealistic? I think it's huge. I think that having social media just places us in a new competition with each other. And one that's measurable, directly measurable. Before, I think like it was maybe a little less clear if you were in a friend group, you know, and maybe you weren't sure who was like the most popular in the sense of who has the most friends, who has the most other friend groups and the most like social mobility. Now it's much clearer. We can actually like map the relationships between people based on their followers and the posts they engage with the most and uh, who comments on their photos. So, you know, there's like a lot of more clarity on your social standing. And at the same time, it can be misleading. Because to have these strong connections, you also have to be consistently present on the platform. It's not only about who you know and who you're friends with. Kind of transitioning from maybe how social media affects us as individuals to how it affects us socially. One of the the big topics that the documentary touches on is the democracy dilemma, which is kind of this era of political disinformation that we've definitely seen presently. So I'd love to hear kind of your opinions on that and how it's changing the way that we engage with not only our political affiliations, but how we talk about certain topics, how we talk about other people, all of that. When thinking about the root of the disunity that we see today and the divide between people who have different beliefs, I think it's really easy to immediately say, echo chambers. This is exactly what it's coming from. But like, I, we have to understand what these are constructed from. How are they actually forming? Because it's not my magic. It is largely a part of human behavior. It's not just an issue that's created by algorithms. We want to be with people we would agree with. We want our beliefs to be validated. And doing that online can be for better or for worse because we can find people to discuss with to test our beliefs and to challenge like different aspects of it as well as like reaffirm it you know the strengthening our beliefs but we can also just find people to say the same things uh it's all about what we really choose to see so when it comes to echo chambers i think like one of the big issues we have is that the way a discourse is constructed around these topics is different than being in a classroom. There isn't quite the same accountability when we are behind a screen. 
Um, the same thing could be said for when we're on an anonymous site. But what we do see on anonymous sites is that people are judged much more for the quality of conversation that they bring versus the opinion that they bring. So if you bring a good argument to the table, even if it's a dissenting opinion, you often see it like thrive, you get upvotes, you get seen. However, if you just like say something rude or something that is kind of like personal statement, not really founded in the topic that's going on, then you're going to get like downvoted into oblivion. But all of this is just kind of to say that uh, we're going to keep amplifying the voices that we believe in. And those are going to be the ones that shape the discourse. And I'm sure lots of people are familiar with the fact that the more homogenous your group is, the more extreme your beliefs can become. So I think that it's really up to all of us to challenge ourselves to interact with people we don't agree with and open our circles to them, which can be much harder to do when we have the discretion behind a screen to easily avoid a conversation. And that, that kind of um, outlines the discrimination dilemma where these extremist views are perpetuated by these algorithms. So with this, how do you feel like the division in democracy and the increase of discrimination has contributed to the current climate? I think that social media is often a scapegoat for division in America. I know that I said earlier, like it can increase it, but the fact of the matter is, is our culture as a society was already changing. I think that many of us have been sort of like less tolerant, a lot of messaging that's given to us. And, you know, I'm just talking about like media broadly. A lot of messaging is sort of ally and enemy based it's not really about understanding each other. It's about like sort of identifying who you can trust and who you can't. I think that we've had an underlying issue of less willingness to bridge the gap between people in the last like decade or so. And just as I said before, like once we get behind our screens, it just allows us to make that distance even greater if we want to. As far as discrimination goes, I think that the hardest part is that social media is always a bullhorn. You know, you can use it to amplify your voice. And not everyone has good intentions with that. Um, People have selfish intentions or hateful ones. And that's why we have a lot of content policies in place to combat those. But we still have people who understand the mechanics of social media, the users who understand it and know how to work together to suppress voices. Now, that might sound kind of conspiratorial, but I've seen it happen on our site on Reddit. And that's one of the things that like it will lead users to be banned. We've seen brigading which is an instance where a certain subreddit's uh, members or, you know, subscribers, I suppose, may use private messages or Discord server um, to communicate and decide that one day they are going to move into someone else's subreddit space. And because not a ton of these have a lot of restrictions because they want to open dialogues with people, they might just all at once like storm into another subreddit and begin shit posting and posting spam and putting hateful comments up uh, and then downvoting any of their opposers. It doesn't happen super frequently, but it's one of the most dreaded things that our moderator community has had to encounter because it's 
essentially like people are just storming the castle, you know, like they're coming and knocking down the doors and it's really hard to get them back out. So I think that that is one issue is that people can act together as a group to suppress voices or to invade spaces where people feel safe and have conversations that are important to them. Uh, I think it happens on other platforms too. I don't have a ton of facts behind some of this stuff when it comes to like Instagram or TikTok. I think it's been a hot topic on TikTok lately. I've seen a lot of Black creators that I follow talking about the suppression of Black creators on the platform. I've been curious to look into the claims behind that and why this could be happening. One thing I've taken away is to live in this space of never-ending information, whether it's true or not, we have to all have investigative minds. I think we all need to sharpen our media literacy and our cognitive skills. In fact, I think media literacy, especially including internet literacy, and by that I mean truly understanding how to process the information that we're seeing, not just reading it and how to access it, but how to understand what forces are influencing our opinion here. So I I think it's a very important thing that we need to have better incorporated into like current day curriculums, especially for kids growing up, just like I said, connecting it back earlier with um, people who are developing their social skills at this time and developing their worldviews. These are kids that we need to equip with the proper knowledge to go into that space and be able to understand it and master it and not fall victim to it or misuse it. Now that we've kind of talked about some of the downfalls of social media and the way that we currently interact with it, what exactly do you feel like it looks like to navigate the internet in a way that is healthy and beneficial? I think one of the most important things that you can do is taking an approach like you would going into nature, into like a national park, say. You need to be respectful of the spaces that you're in. I know this is a big ask because some people are infamous for being internet trolls. Like this is a huge part of internet culture too. And one that I hope never disappears. I don't know. I just love the unexpected moments <laughs> that it brings. And, you know, the, I've been trolled a couple times and sometimes it's just frustrating and other times it's kind of hilarious because it makes you kind of step back and laugh at yourself too. But when I say being like respectful of the spaces we're in, when you enter whether it is a subreddit or it's just posting on Facebook, you have to think about who this content is tailored towards. Like whatever you're posting, who's going to see it? What are they expecting you to contribute? If this is a totally personal space, like for instance, I think that like your Instagram, that is a very individualized space. You know, like it's about sharing things about yourself and your life. And it's really just like up to us each morally to determine how we want to be respectful of other people on that platform, along with some very, you know, important distinctions of like, don't be a racist, don't be sexist, like, please don't call anyone a slur or like show up on their page. This would be a good example of like being respectful of people's spaces. You don't want to show up on somebody else's Instagram post and shame them for something that they're sharing that is highly disrespectful. I think that that's one way that we need to be respectful. Um, Another one is, and I keep coming back to Reddit just because it's what I do every day, but you know, like every single subreddit has rules that are laid out. 
And when I first joined, it was so frustrating because I was like, how am I supposed to actually know how to post in this community? Like, this is so much work. The barrier to entry is kind of high. You don't want to have your posts like auto removed, you know, or like post something and look stupid. Like that is a very real fear. Um, Looking silly in front of this already established community and just being a noob. But having those rules and having them like enforced, you know, I think that like the actual enforcement of the rules is very important. Like if you don't have very many rules, that's fine, but they need to be enforced. If you have a ton of rules, that's also fine they need to be enforced. And if you're coming into a space, you need to understand the expectations that people have in order to properly contribute. You know, if you're entering a political discussion, you need to read through what is expected of you before you're putting out your opinion, you know, because nobody's going to tolerate anybody who just comes in and says like, this policy is dumb. We don't want to see people coming in with just personal opinions we want facts and we want to understand what these opinions mean in like a much more like logical sense, you know? So what steps do you feel like we can be taking to better our individual mental health when it comes with engaging with social media? Personally, I have barely been on Instagram in like the last month and I've never felt better. I don't post on Instagram frequently. I would say that that's probably one of my main social medias. I'm barely present on Facebook. So the main things that I use are Instagram, Snapchat, Reddit, which is sometimes referred to as the anti-social media. And I believe that's kind of it. I am also on TikTok, but I don't really consider it social media as far as I use it because I don't really interact both ways. I really just watch videos. So I think that we need to be conscious of just how much time that we're spending on these. And honestly, if it's making us happy or if it's just releasing our biological drugs to make us feel satisfied enough. I think it's really easy to kind of like pass the threshold of the serotonin and like dopamine rush and then sit in a somewhat zombified state in front of it. I think that the best way to interact with social media, and yes, I'm going to say it, is using a lot of intentionality. (laughs) When we go onto the platform, you know, it's totally fine to scroll your feed for a little while, but keep an eye on just how long that you're in that space. Ask yourself what brought you there and if you've gotten that. Sometimes I go on Instagram just to look at astrology memes. Sometimes I go on there to see if my friends have been doing anything recently, you know, if anybody's been doing any traveling. And I ask myself, have I completed this mission yet? As soon as I can say yes, I leave. I think that's a good way to maybe learn how to navigate it in a way that is using the internet and social media as a tool rather than just something that might be more of a dopamine release um, and might incite some of those more addicting qualities of social media. Exactly. I don't think that it's healthy to use social media as a primary source of entertainment. It's not going to do much for your attention span because most of the content is pretty short form. A lot of the times it won't really be super narratively driven or, you know, maybe even like highly focused. This depends on too on like who you follow and what sort of content that you look at. But, you know, it's just like being mindful of like, what are you coming for each day? If you follow a lot of social activists on media, even then you need to set your own threshold of when you have enough information to feel like satisfied for the day. And when you're spilling into information overload where you're not really going to be able to act on all of these things right now or review all of these things personally to, you know, like really 
bring out their value. And what steps do you feel like we can take to maybe protect our own self-autonomy while we're navigating the internet? Always research what privacy you're losing on an app when you use it. You know, you need to know what you're trading to access something on the internet. And I think that we haven't been super aware of it for a long time. That doesn't necessarily mean that we don't know what's happening, but we need to be aware. Just like if you were going to go out into the world and you look both ways before you cross the street, you know, you need to look like both ways before you trade your personal information to view a website. It's kind of funny since I'm in advertising, but like sometimes ad blockers can be um, a good solution, but they're not the entire solution. In fact, like the apps on your phones, whether you have ads enabled or not, they can collect information on you a lot of the time on your behaviors, on your screen time. You know, you really are relinquishing a bit of yourself each time. And that's just like something to be conscious of. It's not inherently bad. But it's not something that was made nearly clear enough to us whenever we, you know, got on this. I don't think we like truly understood the consequences when we first started downloading apps off the app store on iPhone. And so what do you think can be done to maybe moving forward, teach about online etiquette and online navigation and maybe discuss some of these issues more openly in the public? Honestly, it needs to begin in classrooms. I really think that like there should be a much bigger emphasis on media literacy in the classroom. And that goes with the internet too. And I think that like whenever I was a kid and we were learning about the internet, it was kind of just like stranger danger focused. You know, it was like, don't give out your address. Like don't tell them, you know, your name if you don't know this person and don't browse like these certain websites because they'll give you viruses. But that was really the extent. And so I think that like we really need to have curriculums and like spaces where people can explore the internet more to understand it because it's kind of like being out in the real world. You know, you don't really encounter a lot of the things you wish you knew how to solve until it's already a problem, you know, and you are suddenly kind of like faced with this issue and you're like, oh, I never learned how to do this. <laughs> I never learned how to handle this type of situation, you know, or like I never learned how to get all of these spam callers to like stop calling me. That is something that comes from being tracked online as well, you know. I think it's really it's understanding how our information is being used and how we are seen on the internet. What digital footprint that we're leaving, that's something that we all need to understand and it needs to happen early. I think it needs to be integrated like broadly into society. So that's why I say it needs to start in the classroom. It's just something that we all engage with on a daily basis. And so Mm -hmm. it's definitely something we need to learn more about. Just to wrap up some thoughts, what do you feel like you would want to say to listeners about this topic and what they can do to form this healthier relationship with social media and maybe use it as a tool that would benefit them rather than harm them? The next time you use social media, tie it to a concrete goal, just as an exercise. I think that this is a great way to understand your motivation when you get on the app and look at how your usage of it changes. So if the goal is to reconnect with an old friend, make that your priority when you go on there. Otherwise, I feel that your attention is being pulled in so many ways, and that's fine in moderation. The ultimate challenge now that we have the endless scroll is to moderate it. How would you like to see people engage with the internet? 
my first impulse is to say I want to see people form connections online that they ultimately are motivated to take offline. I want to see motivations that drive people from finding information to real action. But I think there's also something kind of beautiful about this exclusively online relationship that can happen. I mean, I see people in houseplant communities who like take a look at like the leaves and they're like, okay, the edges of my leaves are browning. Like somebody please tell me why. And then like leaf boy 97 will always pop in and be like, okay, you need to make sure that your pot is draining and that you're spraying it with water in the top. You know, if you can put a little bit of a bowl underneath it so that it all condensates up through the plant. And I just love these people who are like ever present online providing help. And like, (laughs) I think the best thing that you can do if you are on the internet a lot, make sure you're interacting with it and that it is not just entertainment for you. Make sure that you're really opening up that two-way connection that's going to enrich your experience and even bring about new challenges to help you understand it better. I mean, Web 2.0 is literally the interface of being able to interact with our content and have it interact back. Well, we're so happy to have you, Lauren, and just kind of hear your perspective. And I think sometimes it's really good to analyze our engagement with the internet because it is a big part of our lives in 2021 now. And thank you for your unique perspective from a Reddit viewpoint and how to use the internet as we should. Thank you for listening to Dream Radically Podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Liberating Minds. Learn more about the work of Foundation for Liberating Minds at our website, foundationforliberatingminds.org, our social media pages at Foundation4LM, and consider getting connected with the podcast and all our members by supporting this work through our Patreon, patreon.com slash foundation4LM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod wherever you're listening. Power, and may tomorrow bring us closer to our radical dreams.